a few hours ago, I was just leisurely sipping my coffee in my pajamas. And here we are. Do remember, please try to remember uh, Dwayne in prayer. He is uh, doing well, but uh, not feeling up to being here in this spot this morning. So we just ask your, your blessings on him and your prayers for him. And I want to thank everybody this morning, the staff that uh, quickly uh, had to change scripture readings and change a few things this morning to accommodate a, a changed schedule. So I appreciate all that they do here. You know, I had it in my head that I had plenty of time to get ready for Christmas this year. Thanksgiving was a little bit early, and it just seemed like I had a lot more time. And then here we are, 20 days before Christmas, and I'm behind. You know, I, I noticed that, how behind I was when my husband unexpectedly brought home some company. He called me and said, I'm bringing home somebody in 30 minutes. I'm like, oh great, the house is not decorated. So I'm running around like this crazy person trying to decorate, putting a few lights here, a few things there. And then I finally just got out the nativity set because that's the most important part, right? So I got the nativity set and I put that out. We have a lot of nativity sets in our house. When my children were little, I remember walking into their bedrooms one night and I noticed that we had all kinds of Christmassy things like Santa and the Grinch. And while we like Santa and the Grinch uh, as much as anybody, that really wasn't what I wanted their focus to be. So I decided that every room in our house would have a nativity set because I, I like them and we've got some different ones and they're, they're very beautiful, but I really love how, how complex that theological concept of the incarnation of God in human flesh can be so compellingly captured in just a very few familiar figures. Now, you can have a big nativity set like the ones we have here that have all kinds of characters in them, and you can have as many sheep as you want, uh, as long as you have the three central characters. You can have the sheep and the shepherds and the cows and the donkeys, as many as you really want. Even the wise men, there's usually only three, but you can have as many as you want. And the camels and the star and maybe a couple of angels or maybe a whole lot of angels. But you don't really have to have all of that. Even just a very tiny set of three little figures, Mary and Joseph, and the baby points to the story in a way that can go just straight to our hearts. Our Advent scriptures tell us the story every single year of a figure who never makes it into any of our nativity sets, even the big ones. Luke devotes as much space into this person's part of the story as he does to the entire story. But nobody ever makes a nativity set that includes John the Baptist. Shepherds, animals, wise men, they all can come and crowd around the manger. But the prophet in camel hair stands alone. He isn't part of the nativity story. But the wisdom of the church down through the ages has insisted that he be a part of our Christmas preparation. He is always a part of the story in December. But he doesn't really fit in, does he? Not with what we think this season is supposed to be about. John the Baptist just doesn't really give us that warm, nostalgic, fuzzy feeling that we love to embrace this time of year. We think of his message as rather harsh and difficult. 
And I think if we got a Christmas card with a John the Baptist flair, we would probably say, Merry Christmas, you brood of vipers. <laughs> probably not what we have in mind. We would rather gather inside in the warmth, in the light of the silver bells ringing and Christmas trees and chestnuts roasting by the open fire. And of course, he's out there in the wilderness shouting about sin and repentance. Now, are there any two words that we resist as much as these, sin and repentance? And at this time of year, we want gift-giving, not talk of sin. We want merrymaking, not calls to repentance. We want good news, and John's message sounds kind of barbed and prickly. And it's true, he's not as cuddly and compelling as the baby in the manger, but beneath all of our nostalgia and all of our activity, what we really seek this season is that wonder, peace, joy, hope, and wholeness, and some kind of salvation. And the truth is that these things belong not only to that baby in a manger, but also to the baptizer in the wilderness. The truth is, if we want to be prepared for Christmas, his is the voice we have to hear first. So Luke sets the scene by naming all the powers that are in place at the time. He talks about in the 15th year of reign of Tiberius when Pontius Pilate is governor and Herod was ruler of Galilee and his brother Philip ruled in that area. There are seven rulers named at the top of the story. Five of them are political, two are religious. These are big powers huge names at the time, and Luke just sounds them off like a drum. Boom, 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 boom. And then the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah in the wilderness. Here in John's story is already a hint of incarnation. You see, God's word will come, not in great and booming and seemingly triumphant powers, not in political powers, not in economic power, not even in religious power. These are not the powers that will triumph. The outrageous claim of Luke's gospel is that God's word comes to us in the weak and the small, in the lowly, in the marginalized, in a manger, and in the wild. And the implication is that it will come in you and in me if we let it. The drumbeat of the rulers thunder, and against all of these, there's only one voice in the wilderness, John. But according to that one voice, the very word of God, and that word, according to Isaiah, will fill the valleys and raise the mountains and hills. It will straighten crooked places and make rough places smooth. It will change the world, and everyone will see the salvation of God. And just as in the story of the baby in Bethlehem, there is power of God's incarnation beating within that very same story that John tells us. God's power made in particular by one man, one time, one place, one voice, bypassing the governor, the emperor, the ruler, and even the priest. So God announces his good news to the world through a lone voice, crying in the wilderness, and through that one voice, 
the power of God will radiate beyond Galilee, beyond Judea, beyond the empire, beyond all time, beyond our time. And everyone will receive the salvation of God if they choose. This redemption is supposed to be universal and warm and welcoming. And somehow, John seemed to convey that because crowds flocked to him. They wanted to hear him preach. And I wonder if those people in the crowds were scared. I wonder if they were scared because he was calling them to repent, which is another word for turning, to turn around, to turn back, to turn away. He was calling them to turn from the dark towards the light, from fear towards peace, from sin towards salvation. He was calling them to turn from anything that was holding them back from God's goodness. He was calling them to change their lives. Now, if we are honest, there are things in our lives that we also need to turn from. There are changes I need to make in my life, and I think there's probably changes you need to make in your life. Changes we need to make in order to more fully receive God's love and in order to more fully live God's love and bear God's love out into our world. And these changes we need to make, we don't have to call them repentance if that word holds you back. Because the truth be told, not everything that we need to change is a sin. There are just some things that we thought we had to have that were absolutely essential for our happiness or our identity or even our survival or maybe some things that are just getting in the way of our opening our life completely to God. There are things in our lives, in our hands, in our thinking that stand in the way of receiving that faith, hope, and love and joy God wants to give us. It's scary, of course, to think of letting go of things we've grown very attached to, to think of turning things over that we've come to think of as essential. But the word that John uses when he talks is not one of fear. It's a word meaning invitation. Come, come. And he says, prepare the way of the Lord. And this is how we get ready. We take time, even during this busy season, to do the kind of preparation that matters the most. We take time to be honest, to take stock of our lives, to get real with ourselves before God, and to make a choice to turn in whatever ways we need, to turn away from toxic attitudes and behaviors, turn away from trying to make old broken ways still work? Consider how our habits are ruining our lives and ruling them? Thinking about the way we speak to others and the way that we speak to ourselves, the messages we play in our own heads. Think about anything in our lives that is just plain false. Think about what apologies need to be made Think about how we speak, how we act, how we treat people, how we fool ourselves, how we try to fool others, what we cling to, 
what we think we have to have and examine it all and make a choice. Turn away from the things we know we need to leave behind. Maybe, maybe you thought you had more time to get ready, to get your life in order, but the time is now to prepare the way. A few years ago, I read a story that I just fell in love with. It captivated me. It was a story of an airline flight that was taken in June of 1947 from Calcutta to New York. On that flight, an engine stopped working, which caused another engine to overheat, which caused a fire, which caused a crisis, which caused a panic. And as that plane pitched down in the darkness, the co-pilot left the cockpit and he went back into the main cabin to help with the passengers. He sat down there with a woman who was alone and crying, and he told her everything was going to be okay. Even as he watched the engine continue to burn and ultimately to fail, he told her everything will be okay, even though he knew the plane was going to crash. And the plane did crash into the Syrian desert and sadly, 14 people were killed instantly. But that co-pilot survived, and so did many others. And the co-pilot went back in again and again and again into that burning wreckage to pull out victims. And they watched all night long in the Syrian desert, that plane that burned throughout the night. And the next morning, when the rescuers still hadn't found them, the co-pilot took charge, and eventually he got all of the survivors to a nearby village where they were all rescued. The crash changed him. He did not want to be a pilot anymore. He wanted to do something different with his life. So he resigned from the airlines to pursue a career in writing and ultimately in television. And his name was Gene Roddenberry and he created Star Trek. The author of this article said he did not tell this story as an ode to Gene Roddenberry. He wrote this story to remind you and me that our journey in this life is short. Roddenberry saw the lights, nature lit up against a backdrop of stars. He saw that we are all passengers pitching downward into the night he saw that we are all helpless, so get up and help someone. That crash was a clarifying, purifying experience of turning for Gene Roddenberry. It changed him because he let it change him. He let it turn him from his old life to a new life. He let it make him more purely what he was meant to be, and it moved him to offer the world what good was uniquely his to give. This morning, what needs to change in your life? Fortunately, we don't need a plane crash to make that change. John says, just turn, prepare, get ready. Open your heart, open your life, because God is coming. God is at the threshold. 
God is waiting to be born anew in your life now. God is ready to break into your life with liberation and healing, with goodness and love, with well-being and salvation. We might not have as much time as we thought to do what we thought we were going to do, but we have today. Seize the day. Let us pray. Gracious God, who sent your Son into the world to redeem it, give us grace to look inward to find space for you. Help us to imitate you more freely so that when you return again, we will be ready to greet you with love and great faith. For it's in Jesus' name. Amen.